Hi, everyone. This is Michael Wolf with the Next Market Podcast. And in this conversation, I talked to Dan Benjamin of the 5x5 Network. This was one of the conversations I did for the larger podcast project, if you will, for a piece I wrote in Forbes. And you can hear the rest of these conversations at nextmarket.co or just, just look for Next Market under SoundCloud or iTunes. You know, the reason I want to talk to Dan is, you know, 5x5 has been called, you know, NPR for, for tech for tech people. And I think that description is right on because a lot of the, the podcasts that they have are really interesting, deep dive conversations around tech and geek and, and pop culture and the confluence and intersection between those, uh, the, the nexus point between those. And so I, I find myself fascinated by a lot of these conversations. And I've been a regular listener to uh, Back to Work, which is a podcast that Dan does with, with Maroon Man. Uh, I've also recently started listening to Quit, which is another one that Dan does. And and one of the things that I found really interesting observing um, 5 by 5 on what Dan does is his roles really differ drastically uh, from podcast to podcast. And that was one of the questions I asked him about, you know, how as he runs this this network of podcasts, um, you know, a guy who's actively involved in a lot of them, how he kind of sees his roles across the different podcasts differing. And so we have that conversation and it's funny. We also have a, a conversation at the beginning. You'll notice as we start this this podcast, um, Dan is basically kind of giving me feedback on on uh, how my signal is, and it kind of shows the level of professionalism. It, it gives you a good idea of the um, the the difference between a ben, Dan Benjamin uh, running a five by five and me just uh, doing uh, this this podcast. He was basically uh, monitoring my my signal, how many packets I've dropped as we, we did our, our Skype conversation. So I thought I'd actually include that because it gives you a little bit of color uh, into the kind of the, the professionalism of Dan. But we also just, we talked about the broader podcast network landscape. Uh, and, and we talked about where we are in the, this, this stage of the game, the evolution of the podcast market, because that was one of the things I was just exploring more deeply uh, for this podcast project. And then we, we talk about things like monetization, and it, that actually gets really interesting because Dan is a, a staunch believer in the value of, of the podcast as an advertising medium, and he goes a little bit into that. And one of the interesting points he makes is just the, the longer shelf life um, and exposure over time that, that a podcast can, can give an advertiser, which was something I quietly, quite frankly hadn't thought a lot about because if you think about the library, the archive of podcasts, and some of them which are very evergreen – and we talk about one of the ones in particular where he talks with Merlin Mann about um, attention deficit disorder. You know, that's one thing that that's one podcast that has done very well for them. And, and that's something that people return and return to over time. And those advertisers who are embedded in that um, just get those continued impressions over the lifespan of, of that podcast, which is a, a very different thing than very short shelf life, news driven type of page views. So that, that was an interesting conversation. And so we talk about that. We, we talk about how advertisers, blue chip advertisers are slowly but surely coming in uh, to the podcast game. We talk about the word podcast, um, which is, you know, a topic of conversation that I talked with, with a few of these uh, podcasters, you know, how a lot of them don't necessarily like it and how they're trying to change it. Because in part, they see what they're doing as really more akin to radio and, and the level of professionalism is closer to radio than uh, the stereotype associated with podcasts. So, you know, we, this is a long conversation, 40, 45 minutes. It's a really good one. Anyone who's interested in the business of podcasting, the podcast network, 
uh, and, and I just want to understand, you know, how Dan and his crew do, do it so professionally. I, I suggest listening to this one. And again, if you want to uh, look, listen to some of the other conversations I had with, with others like uh, Stephen Dunmer of Freakonomics Radio and, and others, make sure to just look for Next Market uh, under iTunes. And I thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you in the future. And so 12%. So that's a little bit better. And yeah. I mean, you sound much better, much less like a robot to me now. So it's actually dropping. It's a 10 now. So nine. So it's going down. So let's, let's, let's go. Yeah. I'm about to put this thing on ethernet when I start doing these things. I've been doing it yeah, all over Wi-Fi. That's a, that I would definitely do that. It, it makes a huge difference because Skype tries to adjust. Yeah. See, now it's down a 0.4. Now it's at zero. So we're, we're looking really good. Right. Whatever that did. I, I haven't I haven't put in an Ethernet, but I, maybe just the mere mention of Ethernet. That, uh, got, your Wi-Fi got scared. Scared it, so because we're at zero percent packet loss, which is beautiful. Okay, let me know if it gets bad. I can all, I have an Ethernet router next to me, so okay. Um, we can do a show like this. You got a good voice. <laughs> I, mean, you're, I mean, you're no Dan Benjamin. Let's be honest. But hey, you have uh, you have some other guys who probably aren't Dan Benjamin either. So I know. You know, you you've thought a lot about this. You have a business. You're a smart guy. You spent four or five hours a day talking through various tech and business issues, you've probably applied that thinking power to the, the business you're in, which is podcasting. So uh, where are we in this evolution? And and are, has has podcasting started to come out of the ghetto a little bit? Well, first of all, you're way too complimentary, but I will allow it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, f- from my standpoint, pod, you know, if you look back a few years ago, and I'm talking three, four years ago, maybe, when I was first wanting to start this, both the audience and the sponsors had a very, very different concept, I think, of what people like me who were wanting to do this for a living, wanting to make a business out of this, had in mind when they said podcasts. Most people, when they were thinking about podcasts, they imagined, and I, I'm, I'm absolutely playing off the stereotypes here, they imagined two guys you know, in their mom's basement with headsets on talking about Star Trek. Like that was the concept of podcasting. And, you know, people, people in this space and, you know, a lot of it, you can look back and you can see what Leo Laporte uh, has done, Adam Curry, all of the folks that have been in this space for a lot longer, you know, they were making radio programs and they had the kinds of standards. And this was my approach the kind of standards that you would find if you if you had something that was produced the way that Radiolab is produced at WNYC. These great shows that, and on the work Jesse Thorne is doing, these great shows that are out there that are being produced with all of the care and time and work that goes into producing something for the radio. And when I started doing this, I had been doing an interview show, I think as far back as 2006 is, is maybe 2006 is about when I started it. No one listened to it. It was, you know, it was me interviewing other geeks and it was a very, very small thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, Apple said, hey, we're, we're going to add podcasts to iTunes. And it legitimized it in a very, very big way. Odeo, which is the predecessor of the company that eventually became Twitter, Odeo was trying to do what iTunes did. And when iTunes, uh, Apple announced podcast support and iTunes, it shut audio down. I'm glad because we have Twitter now. But this was a huge thing because now like there was this place you could go to submit your show and people could find it and download it to their iPods and listen. And this was a really cool concept that now 
that kind of legitimized it. So that was the first step in it kind of getting out of the ghetto, but it was still way down there. And then you, you had people, and again, I'll point at Leo Laporte when he started Twit. You know, this, this was like, hey, wait a minute. This guy's making real money. And I remember saying, reading an article, I think it was in, in the New York Times, and I remember reading he was making like two million bucks in revenue a year. And I said, well, if he can make two million bucks a year through that, and that's not profit, obviously, but if there's two million dollars of money that can flow through it for podcasting, I know I can pay my mortgage doing this. I knew that. And that, that was kind of what started it. But then you have this issue of quality. There's nothing to stop somebody from going to you know, the, the local target and buying a USB headset and sitting down and recording a show and submitting that show to iTunes. I, it, will, it will wind up in iTunes. And I'm not saying that that person isn't, isn't a genius, but the quality of that show, just by nature of the fact that, that person is probably not, does not have an audio engineering background, is not sitting in front of thousands of dollars worth of equipment, which I'm not saying is necessary to do a good show, but there's a huge difference between something that's produced in a, in a professional studio, even one in your own home, and something that you just, you know, you have a microphone at a table and four people are shouting into it. And be, you can't do that on regular terrestrial radio for, or satellite radio for that matter. All of the, every, you turn on your radio to the worst station in your town. I'm telling you, Mike, the worst station in your town, you turn this on and you will hear something that is way more produced than 95% of the podcasts out there because it's a real studio and there are basic standards. I'm not saying the content's going to be better. I'm going to say the quality of what you hear is going to be better. And my goal when I started out doing this is I want to show the listeners and I want to show my hopeful potential advertisers that we can do something that's as good or better than what you're going to hear on the radio and what, what you're going to hear on iTunes. And it has to sound great. It has to sound amazing. The quality and the content has to be there. So the people who have this in mind, I think people are starting to realize that, yeah, you can get great content and you don't have to suffer through bad audio quality to get it. You don't have to, stu to suffer through, you know, a poorly produced program that these things are achievable and you can do them well. And that was always kind of my hope for what I was doing with 5x5 Five Five is that I could create a platform where somebody could come to us and say, I've got an idea for a show. Can, can you help us make it sound and be great? Because I know my content would be great. And like provide that platform where someone can show up for an hour a week or an hour a day and be awesome. And we do everything else and we do it at those standards. So that, that's my goal is getting it out of you know the ghetto because this is... The, Michael, this is the future of entertainment right here. I'm not kidding you. This is, it's on, de, it's on demand. This is what people want. I want to listen to this discussion with these people about this topic on Tuesday at 8.15 while I'm making dinner. That's the, that's the future of radio. It's not turn, turn on this box or this thing that's yeah. in your car. That's, well, that's it, history. It seems like, it seems like, you know, while podcasting had a little bit Sounds had a little bit of a head start on TV or, or video. When you look at look at the streaming video, and I'm talking premium streaming video. I guess well, I guess you talk about YouTube, but then more specifically, like you uh, Netflix and Hulu. Yeah, I think people are starting to actually forget what the delivery mechanism is. It's coming over the top, right? But people are just 
I want to watch Game of Thrones. I just want to watch House of Cards. And it's starting to blur and it's not becoming as noticeable because it, the barriers to clicking play are just getting lower and lower and the quality is getting higher and higher. And what I'm hearing from you is it's, it's a little bit analogous to that in that I think over time, the hurdles through which you have to jump to make a, a hit play, make it come on demand and just get a great listening experience are going to go away. And, and people will be, and we're moving away this from this point in time, like 10 years ago where you had to kind of connect your iPod, download it to iTunes. And that was part of the pain, right? I mean, I feel like, with podcasting, while Apple did a great thing for it, it was kind of a pain in the ass to have to download, sync, et cetera. And the download and sync is starting to go away. Yeah, it's it's it still sucks as an experience. It's still horrible, but it's better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's horrible in the sense that, yeah, you you can't just hit a button in your car and hear the thing that you want to hear. It's closer. If you have a, a more recent car and you have an iPhone or an Android device, you know, you're going to have probably a podcatcher on that device. It's going to get, it's going to get the show that you want automatically for you as soon as it comes out. You've got the show. There it is on your phone. And now you can hit play and the Bluetooth connection, which is automatically initiated when you're sitting in your car, it's just going to play out of your speakers. That is the closest thing that we have right now. And plus, we stream, I don't want to say all of our shows, but, uh, uh, a lot of our shows, we stream them live and we, we had to make an app to do this because it's too complicated of another way. But we, so for example, one of the apps we make has push notifications. So you can subscribe to the show that you like. You want to listen to me and Merlin, uh, you subscribe to back to work. You flip the little switch to turn that on. Then you'll get a push notification when we go live. And then you can listen to the stream right there on in in the app again through the bluetooth as you drive or through your headphones or whatever this is the closest thing that we have right now to replacing radio with live podcasting and we have a lot of live shows in a given day we'll do anywhere from i mean it does vary but from i would say you know four to six hours a day sometimes it's double that of live shows that we have throughout the day i would love it if we could do you know, a solid 12 hours a day. We're not there yet, but I would love it if, you know, from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. or something like that, that you could tune in and listen. And we stream the reruns in the spare time. But my hope is that people could tune in and hear something fun and hear something interesting and different every day uh, at any time. So that's, you know, we're trying to get there. It's just, it's not, it's not there yet. And the experience, it does still pretty much suck. You've got to download it. You've got to sync it up. You've got to have it on your thing. You've got to remember to bring it. You've got to, yeah, it's, it's still a hassle. It's, it's just not it like is. turning on the radio. I, I think I have a theory in that it's weird that podcasts or audio really kind of had a head start, I think, on universal, universally being more available than streaming video because really streaming video besides YouTube, quality streaming video only really kind of came got momentum probably 2007, 2008. It's a market I've been following, right? So, yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's I think why internet video is leapfrogged is because it's a stationary at your home type of behavior where everyone has really kick-ass broadband. Mm -hmm. And I think it seems to me like audio really is more of a kind of like multitasking behavior. And it, it, I would imagine you probably have better data, but a lot of it's people are probably listening to on their iPhone or their whatever devices in their pocket, maybe a tablet. And it, it, I don't know. So it's more of an app-centric streaming kind of behavior is where it needs to go. And it doesn't seem like the the, the, the app-centric model or the people who are creating this, maybe Apple hasn't given enough love and care to it. It hasn't really evolved to the point where like streaming video has. 
I, am I making sense or am I just completely? Bullshit? No, I, 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 you're absolutely right. I think, you know, we did a, we do listener surveys from time to time. And one of the questions that I like to ask, and again, you know, the people who are taking the surveys, they're like the super fans. That's always the way it works. I mean, I'm surveying people who love the shows. But I asked them, where are you when you listen? 64% and they could could check multiple entries here. 64% at home, 60% in their car, 47% will listen at work, 45% will listen while they're exercising, 33% while they're public transportation, 21% in bed, and then 7% other. And they could write in their own answer for others. What's the best other answer though? You got school, school. (laughs) Uh, nothing nothing obscene nothing obscene okay but the fact is that uh, you know when you're at home you're you're probably not just sitting there you know doing nothing else like by the fireplace you know with a pipe and a smoking jacket and just listening to come you know contemplating the shows that's actually that's the only way i listen to podcasts that's how i mean me too but (laughs) i i think you know as you're walking around you know your house you're you're vacuuming you're organizing you're preparing dinner you're doing something else and this is why michael radio or whatever you call this podcasting broadcasting radio why it will never go away because it is one of the few cerebral activities you can engage in while you're doing something else. You can't really read a book while you're chopping onions. You know, you can't really watch a show while you're baking a cake or vacuuming, but you can have your headphones in and be listening to something that's hopefully interesting to you uh, that you agree or don't agree with. And this is really the only kind of thing that'll do it. The human voice is very pleasing to the human ear. Talking about podcasting, one of the things I'm hearing, one of the recurring themes is the word podcast sucks. Like people hate it's, it. It's the worst. Leo hates it. It's the worst. Um, he calls them netcasts. Most people just like to hear. And I think I kind of hear this from you where you say um, because of the connotation of two guys sitting in a basement talk, talking geek stuff, you really talked about broadcasting. Um, I mean you kind of talked about high-quality audio broadcasting from the get-go, sounds like. Yeah, I mean, the, for me, it's always been about broadcasting. I mean, I grew up listening to talk radio. Uh, I was the, you know, in, st- in, in the back of the class, I had the little, back in the days before we, you know, before we had uh, iPod headphones, you know, it was called an earphone, the thing that went in your ear. And it was just one. And it would just go in the one side, you know what I mean? And I would have, I would have the little tiny, the smallest radio I could find. And I would have that in my pocket and I would have the earphone going up through the jacket into my ear and I could kind of lean my head to the side and the teacher wouldn't know I was listening. I would listen to talk radio in class all through high school, you know, because like this is this is what I loved. And I went to uh, I went to college and I was going to be a radio TV major. I actually was a radio TV major for a while and I got talked out of it when I was talking to actual like radio show hosts who were working in the business successful and they're like, well, this is an awful, awful business to be in. <laughs> you know, you're going to be you're going to be flipping uh, vinyl, you know, records in you know Kansas City at 3 a.m. until you get fired because now it became a you know uh, a foreign language station and you're going to have to move again and you're going to get fired again and you're going to move again and if you do that for 15 years, maybe you'll get to talk on the radio a little bit. And they're like, what else do you know about? 
And I said, well, I'm pretty good at computers. And they're like, you're good at computers. Computers are the future. Do that, you know. <laughs> and and that, was, that was the message that I got was just that radio it had a sickness. And I think that that's probably still true. And at the same time, podcasting in that awful term, podcasting. I mean, I don't mind the fact that we're relating this to the iPod because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Apple stuff. I love Apple stuff most of the time. But it's, it, it's become the word that everybody's going to associate with this. And I wish we'd move it away. And Leo really tried calling him, you know, netcasts. I don't like that term much better either. Because now the, the term internet, Michael, nobody uses the term internet much anymore except as a joke. Oh, where'd you find that? Oh, on the internet. It's not, yeah, yeah. it's not, you know, it's all, uh, seriously, it's the web or the cloud. And those are the terms. And you know what? Though I'm already bored of those. We're going to have to have new ones for those in another couple of years. No one's going to say cloud anymore. It, these things change all the time. And right now, we're searching for the, why not just call it broadcast? Why not call it internet radio? Why not call it just broadcasting in general? You know, like what you don't, you don't like when someone says, well, what are you going to do tonight? Oh, I think I'll go home and watch some cable television. <laughs> well, of course it's cable television. Well, uh, you know, I, oh, I don't have cable, so I'm going to go home and watch Netflix. Well, just watch TV. You know, we know what you mean. Call it broadcasting or call it radio. It's radio. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Mark Marin did a conversation with um, Dave, Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters yeah. and he was talking about his, his movie he was making. And my wife loves Dave Grohl. Um, and if there's someone she'd leave me for, it might be well, the one and only person, maybe Dave Grohl. I don't know why, mm -hmm. but uh, so I, I go, you got to listen to this Mark Marin podcast because Dave Grohl is so nice and so yeah. cool. But it took me like a, a month to get her to listen to it because it's such a pain. I had to download it for her. Yeah, I had to make sure her phone was connected in a car and she was driving somewhere for an hour. <laughs> mm -hmm. And this is a smart person. Mm -hmm. And so it's like getting someone who is not a kind of techno-centric guy to sit down and listen to a podcast. It's like, and maybe we're getting back to the kind of the same thing. It's a real pain in the ass. So it's like the question becomes, do we ever get there where my wife becomes a regular podcast listener? You know, mine did, uh, and not because of me and not because I do it, but because, you know, there were, and, and here's what I think, if somebody has exposure to this stuff and they're somewhat tech savvy, like they own a computer and they own some kind of MP3 player, whether that's, a, you know, an iPod or an iPhone or just a smartphone in general or any device that doesn't let them play an MP3. And they have a computer. If you expose them to this stuff and you say to them, you know what, that weird subject that you were just talking to me about that you think you're the only person that knows about, there's a show about this. And you know what, you, you might enjoy listening to this show. And they find out that they're connected to an, an, a world. You know, for example, we're, we're uh, paleo, which is a whole different topic. But, you know, you're, you're not... You're not going to walk down the street and, and bump into somebody who, who's also paleo. I mean, you will here in Austin. But before we lived here, you know, my wife was always looking for more information about this. And one of the ways that she found out about it was through podcasts where she could buy the books and she could read on the Internet. But hearing other folks talking about it was always really inspirational for her. And she learned a lot. So she started to really get into that type of thing because there are these other interests. You know, if you 
if you don't have a community in your own town or in your own neighborhood about that topic that you're interested in, but you, you still want to talk about it. You still want to hear what other people think about it. And podcasts definitely fill uh, that space very, very well. You know, well, let's talk a little bit about the 5 by 5 because sure, what's crazy to me looking as an interested observer is how insanely kind of um, prolific you are, right? So you, you're kind of central to a lot of these. I don't know how many shows you have now, but you're on like a lot of them. Yeah, I'm trying to be on less. How do you manage that? I mean, it, it. I would imagine you you have some hacks and stuff, but it's probably just sheer. A lot of it's just sheer hours and kind of almost like exhaustion. <laughs> That's um, exactly right. It's and, just working, working and, constantly. And you're a hacker too, right? So you have software and tech expertise, but it's still just a lot of work. But yeah, that's it. I mean, it's just it's just work. It's just constant, constant work. That's it. I mean, it's, it's that simple. You just work all the time and forsake all the things that you might enjoy doing or that other people need you to do uh, in order to get the stuff that you need done, done. And when this sounds maybe like a dumb question, or maybe it isn't, I, I'm sure it's something you wrestle with is like, how do you sit there for, and talk on five shows a day or whatever it is? I'm making up a number. Yeah, and, and not, no, not, but hopefully not five every day. For, yeah. if, if feed your brain. Um, is it kind of the interesting people that you are interacting with? I mean, you're just kind of like, they're smart and you can in, react to them because you're professional. I mean, does that make sense as a question? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's, there's certain things that, all right. So one of the things that, uh, that I learned as part of my broadcasting experience, and I think I learned this more as a listener for many, many years, is that there's sort of, there's two spaces that a broadcaster can go into. And I'm not saying that there's one type of broadcaster or another. I'm saying there's two different roles. One of those is you're talking in order to share your opinion and deliver your message. And there's another where you are facilitating someone else's ability to do that. And you can go back and forth between these as necessary. You can stay in one or the other. But I think that so often on shows, and I, this includes radio shows too, I'm not just talking about podcasts, you'll hear a host who will have a guest on or a panel or two other of their buddies and they'll be talking, but really they want to talk a lot too. And that just doesn't always work as well for me when you have someone where you're trying to cast a, a, a spotlight on a guest. I'll give you an example of somebody who does a great job going back and forth between these on the fly in just the right way, okay? Dan Patrick. Yeah. He has, yeah. he, you know, he can share his opinion and have a little rant now and then, but he's a great interviewer. When he gets somebody there who's big time, he knows to shut up. He asks some questions that's going to create an amazing interview or a really great conversation for the, that other person. You thought I might say Charlie Rose. Well, he's a hero of mine, of course. But I see Charlie Rose as somebody who's primarily doing the interview role, the facilitating role. So I've had shows where I'm almost exclusively just the facilitator where, and a, a good example of this was a show I did with John Syracuse, a hypercritical. I was really only there to just, just kind of make sure that things were, were moving along. And I rarely needed to really do that. I was just there so that there was someone else in the room that John knew that he was talking to and he could get on uh, with his really, really awesome and entertaining 
uh, conversations that he would have mostly with himself. And, and that's not because I didn't have an opinion or because my opinion didn't differ, but it, it, that was not important. Sharing my opinion on that show was not important. Getting his message and what he had to say out was very, very important. Yeah. So there's that side of it. And then there's like the stuff that I do on Quit, which is a completely different kind of show. I take callers and we, we talk about careers and things like that, where that's pretty much me. And I get to, I get to talk and, and share and you know express myself as much as I want, which I think is also important for you as a broadcaster, right? So you, you want to be able to do both. Uh, but I think that, that that's key, that having that understanding of when, it, when should I be talking, when should I not be talking? And all of this comes together, I think, very nicely. And it's a constant challenge for me. And I, I, I know I could be better at it. And I try really hard to be better at it. But when I know that I have some interesting people and the audience would like to hear from them, they're relying on me to be myself. You know, they're relying on me to, to, to ask the good questions or make, make comments that lead to that good kind of conversation. But I need to get out of the way of those other folks. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and, and so I think that's having great people like you, uh, like you mentioned, m- makes it possible to do that many shows. But I'm trying to, I'm trying to do fewer shows. I think I have a plan now yeah, that yeah. might work, but uh, we'll see. Well, the secret plan you'll have to you have to give that at the, at the end of our conversation. Maybe, and, maybe. yeah, it's we'll a reveal. Uh, we're still getting to know each other. Hey, I think at some point you said, I think I read this or you've said it. You wanted to be the kind of the NPR of of podcast or broadcast or kind of on internet radio. Is that kind of still the overall strategy for you? Ah, uh, for me, I mean, it definitely. You know, NPR for geeks is what some people have called five yeah. by five. I love I love that. Um, I didn't come up with that, but I love that. And I think that, um, if we can provide the same kind of entertainment that NPR provides to its listeners, and I'm one of them, uh, I mean, that, that would be amazing. But that leads me to a more serious question. And I don't mean to interrupt you there, but you know, I think Leo said he wants to be CNN. Yeah. So is over time as this market matures, does there become almost like kind of well, if you want kind of these deeper long form conversations or, or, or kind of or do you want kind of the news three guys around a mic, you go to go to Leo. I mean, does over time as the market matures, you're going to you guys are going to find your niches? Yeah, I think uh, I think so. You know, when I when I started five by five, a lot of the shows that I did here were more one on one discussions, as I mentioned, like hypercritical me and John Syracuse, me and Merlin Mann. I think that format is a tried and true format that works. But I think what you'll see more from us is, uh, you know, when I started the network, I had two shows that I was doing, three. Uh, The first one was The Pipeline, which was a one-on-one interview show, like we're doing. I had a show called The Conversation, which was me and two to four, yeah, four, two to four other people uh, doing doing a conversation about whatever was going on. And then I had a third show, which was the, I think the dev show where we talked about like software development and news and stuff. But those first two shows, those were the core shows for me. And both of those shows spun off pretty much all of the other shows. Uh, I would do an interview with somebody and I'd say, Hey man, that was a great interview. Do you want to do like you do a weekly show? No, no, I can't do a weekly show. And yeah, you can. It'd be great. Okay. I'll try it. And that would, that would lead to another show. The con- you know, I'd have a guest on the conversation and I'd say, wow, that was really great. Let's do a show. 
And, you know, the, the downside, of course, is I now all of a sudden had all these different shows that I had to host and it was way more than I could possibly do. But I, you know, just kept doing it. But I think that the format of the panel show, especially if you have a small panel of people that you can draw from to come in and be familiar to the audience, characters to the audience, if you will, that the, the, the audience can connect to, then you say, okay, this big announcement came out about topic X. I bet Dan's going to get this person and this person on the show this week to talk about it because they have different opinions on the subject. And yeah, that's probably who I'm going to want to get, but they know that they can anticipate getting those kinds of people on the show on a regular basis and, and, and tuning in for that. So, you know, that's kind of the future, I think, uh, for, for what we're doing. Uh, to make it very, very clear, we do not report on the news in the sense that I think we're not covering the news. Let me be more specific. I'm not trying to break any news. I'm not trying to cover the news in a way that provides it to people who haven't heard about it. What I think we do best is provide analysis and, and insight and do that with, with personality. Uh, that to me is why people tune in. They're not tuning into us to hear unbiased reporting of the facts first. That's not us. It will never be us as far as I'm aware. Um, why? Because there's so many pure news outlets and places that do that, that this just happened and we're covering it. Tune in it. You know, that's just not us. What, what we have is, oh, you guys heard about this thing that happened earlier in the week. Well, here's some people who really understand this and who can provide their own thoughtfulness and, you know, after it's happened, provide clarity and shed light on the importance of this thing that happened and, and explain why it is important. That, that's real value to me. So that's where I think people would draw the connection between, you know, NPR and, and what we do. And that's, if we're halfway that good, then, then, uh, then I'm thrilled. But, you know, that's the place that, that I think there's that connection is that nobody's tuning into NPR to get breaking news. They're tuning into it to understand why that thing that happened matters from people who care. You have a strong pop culture set as well as like a strong sure. tech set. And it, those seem to be great because I think a lot of the people that listen to podcasts probably dip into both those pools. Yeah, I think um, so. Do you see those growing, uh, both of those? And, and do you have any kind of any kind of insight on which does better or, or, or are they kind of equal? Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting because obviously anything in the space of like entertainment, movies, gaming, that kind of thing, uh, there's a lot to say in that space. And there are tons and tons and tons of listeners um, that, that want to get into that. At the same time, that's a very competitive space because you have, uh, you know, you have so many big, big media publications that are covering entertainment. E, for example... Uh, that that's a natural go-to for so many people. So if you're really into like TV and movie news, entertainment news, like E is the place to go for that. We'll never compete with that. So again, the approach is the same. Like what can we provide here that's a little bit different, that's a different kind of an insight that's not going to be that hyped up, overproduced um, thing. So I think it, it, it varies uh, depending on the certain topics and what's hot. But it's tying a little bit into passion communities, right? So 
if you're like a comics nerd, you, you and Merlin go into comics a little bit, but yeah, you have, I think someone, I haven't listened to it, but you have someone who may be talking about movies, but it, people have, I guess this over talks, digs a little bit into the geek culture and that people want to talk very deeply about these passions they have. And yeah. with E, e it's like a half inch deep. You guys right. want to, we, you guys want to go, we, you don't want to go a mile deep, right? We want to go the, all, the whole way in. And that's the thing with this is that we want to take the time. You know what? If we want to spend an hour talking about superior Spider-Man and if we're happy with where Dan Slott's taking it, we'll do that. You could never do that, honey. We can do that. And if that's not interesting to you, then don't listen to it because you haven't paid any money for it. And that's kind of the approach. You know, maybe next week will be better for you when we talk about Captain America, you know, who knows, but these kinds of things, we can explore that and we can afford to have podcasts that fill those little specific needs, you know, you know, this, I think that segues nicely into, I want to talk a little bit about monetization because part of the, I guess part of the, going back to our original, the start of this conversation, when I talked about, yeah. you know, a kind of an up and coming media network doesn't see podcasts as a core necessarily. A core right. Product. That's a mistake. By it's, the way, that's a mistake. Right. But I think it's because it's not obviously monetizable like um, CPMs um, on, a, on, on words um, or, or kind of inserting video plays in like streaming video. Right. And, it's and, not, and, it's but, not quite as measurable in, in the way that, but look, radio's had advertisers on it forever. Forever. This is no different. And that's what people, what, because they, like there's two ways to look at podcasts. If you look at podcasts as this awful thing that you have to do a song and dance in order to get and the quality kind of sucks and nobody really listens and blah, blah, blah. Then yeah, why would you try to monetize that? It's stupid. It's a waste of time. But if you look at it as this is radio for people who are smart. This is radio for people who aren't afraid of downloading an app to their phone picking the show that they want to hear and getting a push notification when it's done. Those people, and by the way, those people have lots of money, Michael, compared to the people that just have a Walkman. It, you are a fool if you don't think that your product or service wouldn't do well in front of those listeners. And those listeners are everyone from people like us to people like our wives to my mom to, you know, little kids. Their shows, their podcasts for kids. Trust me, their parents spend money. The, you're missing the boat. If you don't think podcasts are important, then you're missing the future of audio and radio in general. And that, that's a mistake. You can't be a well-rounded organization unless this is part of your strategy. And time and time again, be, you know why? Because web ads are so damn lucrative. They make a lot of money just having an ad on their site. And they can say, we had a million uniques this month. We had 5 million uniques this month. Do you want to be in front of 5 million uniques? Pay us this much money and your ad will go here. That is a very, very easy thing to sell. You spend way less time selling that than we do selling the work that we... I have one and a half people full time just selling for us. That seems like it, it, it's not very effective. But the reality is... Our ads, we're told this time and time again from our sponsors that, our, that we have way longer legs, the sponsorships, than not only than, than what's going on on the web, because once that ad is done, it's done. Uh, you can download our stuff 
And if you go back, let's say you, you love the, you know, we'll pick on the Merlin show. You love back to work. You can go back and listen to episode one. Well, guess what? In episode one, we had sponsor X and Y. You may go check them out a year later after we did that episode. A year later, when you go to see that post on the web, it's got whatever today's ads are on it, not the old ones. Yeah. So there's z that value gone immediately if you're advertising on the web, gone. With us, it's there forever, forever. As long as that show exists, that ad stays in the show. Our shows will be around longer than most of these businesses. Brings up a good question. How, how well does the library perform as time goes on? Is there like a... Is there like a formula there or do you, have you observed it where historical shows perform like 10%? I mean, or is it always like the recent show consumes 9% of the, of the downloads? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the show, when it comes out, you're going to get the majority of the downloads over the next like 36, 48 hours. But all of the old shows, you can almost see like if you ever watch the logs, which now they're too crazy to watch. But back in, in the old days when I didn't have too many shows, you could see like you'd see a show and then you'd, you'd see like an IP address come across and then it'd be like, okay, request for episode 29, 28, 27, 26, 25. And this was somebody who had just downloaded one and listened to it. And now they were going into the back catalog. You could see the same IP address grabbing them. You know, that kind of thing um, was, was really cool and really interesting to see. I don't have specific numbers or a ratio or a percentage, but I can say I hear time and time again, anecdotally from people on Twitter who are like, wow, I really enjoyed this show. I'm going to go back and listen to them all now. Well, Dan, and that happens a lot. You didn't come prepared for a conversation if you don't have those numbers. I'm, I know. I'm disappointed. <laughs> Me too. No, no, but getting back to the advertising question. So talking to the other you know podcasters, it seems like, and, and just watching, right? I haven't talked to these guys, but if you look at like Marin, right? Or you look at some of these guys, these podcasts spur other parts of their career. So if they're a media entity unto themselves, the podcast feeds their live shows. And it seems like a lot of these guys potentially see podcasts as a way of, to feed other parts of the business and they may not monetize as much around the podcast. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, podcasts are a great way to strengthen your image or brand or whatever term you want to use. I think it, it's something that many of them see as supplemental, but only because they don't understand that there is uh, there and that there's an advertising opportunity for them there. There were plenty of race car drivers that never occurred to them to put a big sticker of a company logo on their car. But once the first guy figured it out, they all wanted to do it. And now the cars are covered. Well, this is the same thing. Right now, it's so early. It's just beginning. And people think, ah, you can't make much money doing podcasts. Why would I want to monetize that? I'm waiting on my new movie to come out or whatever. So you, you know, but you, the, the fact is there's plenty of money out there. And I mean, you know, for those really good shows that have great audiences, again, it's about audience engagement. Listener numbers don't matter. Engagement matters. And that's much tougher to gauge except by trying. But if you have good listeners who trust you, and know that you're picking really, really great advertisers because they're supportive of that listener base and they trust you to do that, they're going to try out the next time they have a domain to register or the next time they're trying to look for a cool weather app and they're going to hear you talking about one and genuinely liking it, well, they're going to try it too. That kind of engagement, you don't get that anywhere else. Anywhere else. So who's driving the Audible car? Who's driving the Squarespace car? 
uh, Audible's not really a current sponsor of ours, so it would be more like Hover and uh, and Squarespace. Um, <laughs> the go-to-meeting yeah, I mean, car. Yeah, it's but that's that's the way that it works. It really is. Um, it really is something that's important uh, to the listeners. I think to know that you're you're not just taking any old sponsor who shows up. But you're getting a, a good one, and that's what we try to do. Looking at the sponsors, when and this is a serious question: when is General Motors or when is Coke? going to become a podcast sponsor exactly that's my question too well i think they have i think um i think ford did some sponsorships i think you're right i think but yeah when are they i don't i don't know uh we definitely talk to companies like that as much as possible um they are slowly starting to become aware that this is happening and here's my only prediction about that as podcasts get easier and easier to listen to, uh, without you know, as that barrier of how do I get this thing on my device so I can hear it, as that barrier gets smaller and goes away eventually, so will broadcast traditional terrestrial broadcast radio. And as that goes away, those companies will start saying, I wonder why our ads aren't performing the way that they used to. Well, that's because fewer people will be listening to the radio. More of them will be listening to podcasts. And this isn't something that's going to happen overnight. But it is, I know plenty of people who listen to no radio at all. They just listen to Spotify on their phone for music. And they listen to podcasts for intellectual stimulation. And that's it. And that's all that, that's all that they listen to. The radio is dead to them. I'm probably one of those people. <laughs> and it, it really... The only reason that I might turn on live radio anymore would be if there's a, a game on and I want to get, you know, I can't watch it and I can only listen to it. But there's an app for that too, Michael, so I don't know. Yeah. I think radio is dead. Traditional terrestrial radio is dead. And I love it, but I think podcasts are the way to do it. Live streaming over the internet, that's the other way to do it. Is there a seal? I mean... I, I guess I want to ask specifically about five by five. If you if you want to give numbers, you know, I think I read that the the Merlin Man kind of a, a attention deficit disorder episode was was number one or kind of the most downloaded. Do you have like a number for the most downloaded? Because more broadly, I hear there's kind of a, a ceiling on like on kind of what the the downloads will be on a specific podcast, even for the big guys. Although I think you know, I've heard. Uh, Talk of, or uh, uh, this American Life probably did eight hundred thousand or a million, but more generally, the big podcast kind of tap out at a quarter million or so. Are you seeing that? Yeah, I mean, I, it it does vary, but I think that's the right range. It depends on the episode. It depends on the show. You know, there's there's it also depends on the time frame that you want to you want to mention it within. In other words, if you look at uh, an episode like a lot of the shows that folks do on news focused podcast networks, there's very, very little value to that show in a month. It might still be interesting to go back and listen to it, but there's much less value in a show that was talking about the, you know, the third iPhone today why would you really want to listen to that oh it might be fun to go back and like reminisce and hear if their predictions or thoughts about it were right yeah but really talk to me about the new one yeah don't talk to me about the one from years ago so that show has no value but again a show like you know the ADD show that Merlin and I did or the OCD show that Merlin and I did 
those shows, I, I, I mean, listen, I'm not going to say they're eternal, but uh, those shows are just as good today as they were when we recorded them. And they're just as good as they will be in, fi in five years. So a show like that, if you look at it over the lifespan of the show, oh, that thing can pick up way more downloads than that. But if you're talking about an actual, like a weekly show that comes out and you're measuring it in the scope of like the week or two following that show, yeah, that's, that's probably the right number. So it sounds like kind of um, long shelf life, stuff that doesn't expire over time is going to obviously perform better than the, yeah. very, the very specific announcement about the software upgrade to 2.3. Uh, last I mean, week, we've right? done whole, yeah, we've done whole shows. We did. I did a whole show at one point uh, with a couple guests about when the the whole uh, fiasco with the iPhone uh, being stolen and the Gizmodo thing and the guy in the bar and look, that's so old now and just not interesting anymore to most people. Who wants to hear that story now? It's old. It's years old. That show at the time did hundreds of thousands of downloads because we were having a really good discussion about it. But now that's not getting any downloads. Whereas that ADD show Merlin and I did, it didn't get hundreds of thousands of downloads on its first day, but people download that thing still every day. So there you go. Hey, Dan, I appreciate it. And I know I bugged you earlier, you know, a while ago and it took you a while to get back to me. So I hope I didn't. Sorry about that. I, no, no, but no, I, hope, I hope it wasn't too much of a pest. Not at all. I'm glad to, glad to do it. And hopefully, uh, yeah, no, absolutely glad to do it. All right, man. All right. Well, thank you. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. So that was it. As you can see, Dan Benjamin really knows his stuff. And I want to thank Dan for taking time to talk with me. And if you want to hear future podcasts about the state of the podcasting market and how guys like Dan are making a business of it, just go to nextmarket.co and look under podcast project. Thanks again for listening. And we'll talk to you in the future.